Good morning. Hey, if you own a house, um, you got to know uh, that things are going to happen to it that you're going to have to repair, right? You got to know that things are going to happen, uh, that you're going to have to maintain, uh, that things are going to wear out in this house. Uh, on the inside, uh, like HVAC and countertops and maybe a basement floods or something like that. You're going to have to figure that out. But also things are going to happen to your house um, from, the, from the outside, right? You're going to have storms that come and, and trees are going to fall down and, and hail damage is going to happen and basements flood, like I said, tornadoes, pipes burst, all of that. Just this summer, um, we had a tree that was struck by lightning fall across our driveway at our house. And so it just came a couple feet uh, from hitting the house. It was an awesome morning when I woke up to that. And uh, when you have little kids and you got to get to school and you got to get to whatever. So that was, that was a lot of fun. And, and so we, we, we dealt with that. But you know that this stuff is going to happen to your house. You know uh, that your house is going to have to going to have to weather storms, right? Everybody say weather storms. 815, you guys awake? Everybody say weather storms. Your house is going to have to weather storms. You should expect storms and you should expect the problems that they cause. I mean, if, what if I, we were talking and, and I was telling you about how my tree fell down and, and how my water heater went out because it was 15 years old and, and how I had to do some repairs and my roof was getting replaced because of a, a hailstorm. And I was just like, that's why I'm moving. I'm moving. I'm going to a different house. This house is too much trouble. I'm just going to move. And you were like, okay, Pastor Jay, cool. What, where are you moving to? And I was like, down the street a bit. Just down the street. Just going to move down the street. If I said that, you'd be like, Pastor Jake, that's not the way this works. Right? You'd be like, that's not the way home ownership works. That house down the street is going to have the same problems that this house has now. It's going to have to weather the same storms. The same winds that blew down that tree at your current house is going to blow down that tree or those trees at the new house. Same issues, different house, same story, just a different day no matter where you go. I mean, you'd look at me like I was crazy, right? You'd start talking to me slow. If you, we were down south, you may say something like, well, bless your heart. <laughs> if somebody's southern or if you're down south, if they say bless your heart, it means you're dumb and they're trying to figure out what to say next. <laughs> well, bless your heart, Pastor Jake. That's a great idea to move down to another house that's going to have the same problems, right? That's how you'd react if I was talking about my house this way. Every house will eventually need work. Every house will need repairs. Every house eventually will have to weather storms and will be a fixer-upper from within and from without. Storms from within and from without. So it would be crazy for me to talk about my house this way. But you know what's even crazier? That we treat marriage this way. That this is the way we talk about marriage that we have this unrealistic and in the end unbelievably destructive idea that our marriages shouldn't have problems. That we should be in a marriage without storms. Without storms. That we should be in a marriage that doesn't need work. That marriage should be easy. 
And so same conversation, just tweaked a little bit. It's not about my house now. It's about my wife and my marriage. And I say something like, hey, Erin is just, gosh, she's driving me crazy. Look, she just argues with me all the time. She doesn't respect me. She doesn't care about my physical needs. She, she won't help me with the dishes. I mean, she's always telling me I put the dishes wrong in the dishwasher. I mean, can you believe this woman? That's why I'm getting out. I'm getting a divorce. Marriage isn't supposed to be hard. Love shouldn't be work. And you go, okay, okay, what are you going to do after you get a divorce, after you get out of this marriage? What are you going to do? And I say, well, I'm going to find a woman who's not any work. I'm going to find a woman who respects me. I'm going to find a woman who gets me. I'm going to find a woman who doesn't have all these problems, who will sacrifice for me, help me. And a lot of times, instead of us going, that's crazy. That doesn't make sense. Instead of saying what we would say if we said that about our house or somebody said that about home ownership, we say instead, yeah, I totally get it. Man, I totally get it. you got to find somebody who loves you for you, right? I mean, you got to find your, maybe you're not soulmates. Maybe you're not meant to be. No, I totally get it. you got to be happy in your marriage. Marriage shouldn't be work. Listen, beloved, every marriage is a fixer-upper. Every marriage is a fixer-upper. Every single marriage requires work, intentionality, maintenance, careful planning. Every single marriage experiences storms from within and from without. Same story, different day. Same movie, just different actors. A change of scenery isn't going to fix that. A different person isn't going to fix that. So we're in this series on marriage called Fixer Upper, and last week we talked about the foundation. If you missed that message last week, make sure you get it on iTunes or on our website, watch it on our website, because if you don't build your marriage on the right foundation, these other principles that we're talking about just don't matter. But this week I want to talk to you about weathering storms. And we can hit this from a lot of different angles. Um, You're going to have to deal with in your life and in your marriage a lot of storms that come from the outside, right? A lot of things that happen to you, tragedies uh, that happen to you, the loss of a child or a loved one, financial crisis, health issues. There are lots of things that can happen to your marriage from the outside. But today, I want to focus on the storms that come from the inside. I want to talk to you about these storms on the inside of your marriage because those are constant and much more likely to derail your marriage than anything else. Some of you, some of us will have to deal with these big tragedies that happen and we'll have to weather through these big storms that happen from the outside. Some of you are doing that or have done that, but every single one of us will have to learn how to weather storms from the inside of our marriage, from the inside of ourselves. Tracking with me? A15, you tracking with me? All right. Specifically, I want to talk to you about fighting today, dealing with conflict. Some of you um, fought on your way to church. That's not very Christian of you, all right? Some of you are like, this is perfect because I was just about to knock my husband out on the way here. So, yes, let's talk about fighting Some of what I'm going to challenge you with uh, today comes from a book on marriage that I love. It's called The Mingling of Souls by an author named Matt Chandler. 
Um, there's a chapter in here on fighting. And uh, I would love for you to get this, read this with your spouse. Uh, we're not going to cover even most of it, but some of these thoughts come from this chapter. And so I would love to uh, give three of these out. So I'm going to reward the people who are not scared to sit on the front row. So Thor, that's for you. And uh, so let me do the browns over here. And then I, I'm pretty sure, you, you want one for marriage? Good catch. Um, <laughs> It's not scary to be on the front row. It's not. It's not scary. You guys could come up. I may give you something. I may give you like a book or, or I may spit on you. It's one of those two things. <laughs> but check out that book. Um, if I didn't give it to you, order it on Amazon or something. It's a great book. But do you guys ever fight in your marriage? Do you guys ever argue? Never. I didn't think so. Do you guys ever like have discussions? Do you ever have some discussions that kind of got out of the bounds of discussion like we're just having a discussion why are you yelling (laughs) it's moving into the argument okay we're past argument and we're about to hit each other in the face and I'm not just talking about the knockdown drag out type of fights I'm just talking about conflict really of course you do right we all do I've had this conversation play out in my office when I've done marital counseling many many different times but it goes like this someone one of the spouses will say man we just we just fight all the time We just argue all the time. We're always at odds with each other, and it's exhausting. It's not supposed to be this way, they say. It's not supposed to be hard. Shouldn't we just go ahead and get a divorce, Pastor? Shouldn't we just go ahead and split up because this is not supposed to be difficult? Maybe we're not supposed to be together. Marriage is not supposed to be this hard. And so the basis of that statement is that in a healthy marriage... There is no fighting or a lot less, right? But in an unhealthy marriage, there is fighting. In a healthy marriage, there is peace. But in an unhealthy marriage, there is turmoil and discord. A healthy, unhealthy marriage that maybe was a mistake, we say. But if you've been in my office and said this, here's what I've asked you. Do you want to fight with this spouse or a different one? Do you want to fight with this spouse or, or a different spouse? Do you want to fight with this woman or a different one? Do you want to fight with this man or a different one? Well, I don't want to fight. Pastor, I don't want to fight. I don't want to argue. I I want a spouse that is so in love with me, so in love with me, that they don't argue. They just do what I say. (laughs) That's impossible. You're describing not a spouse, but a puppy. Get a puppy. Fighting, discord, arguments. These things happen in every marriage, no matter what. So do you want to fight with this one or another one? That's the question. And this is huge because it means that the next woman is not going to fix this. The next man is not going to fix this. It takes care of this whole greener grass mentality that somewhere out there is this mythical one And if I could just find my soulmate, we won't have to fight. We won't have issues. We won't argue. We won't have problems. Well, you'll find him or her right next to the pixie fairy riding a ferret. (laughs) Some of you are like, all right, where's this ferret riding pixie, baby? I'll find it, and then I'll find my soulmate. No, my point is that you're not going to find him. 
They don't exist. This person that you're not going to argue with, that you're not going to have to weather storms with, this relationship that's perfect and easy, it doesn't exist anywhere. So you're fighting, you're arguing, there's conflict. The answer is not to get a different model and start over. The answer is to stick it out and fight the one you're with. You've heard love the one you're with. That's great. I'm saying you got to fight the one you're with too. You got to learn how to do that. For your marriage to weather the inevitable storms, you'll have to learn how to fight the one you're with in a healthy way. Don't run from conflict. That does nothing because guess what? The whole time you're running from conflict, what you don't realize is that you're running towards it too because it's everywhere. And because, listen, it's in you. So you carry it wherever you go. It didn't work with that woman. It didn't work with this woman. I'm on number 37, and it's not working. Well, there's one common denominator here, and it's you. You're carrying conflict with you. You have to learn how to fight the one you're with in a healthy way because conflict is everywhere. And there's this basic basic principle that you have to accept because some of you are like, man, I don't know. Seems like I may be able to find that. Ferret pixie. Seems like I may be able to do that. And I know that like engaged couples and dating couples, when I said you fight no matter what, the guy just turned to the girl and went like, not us, baby. We got something real. Not us, baby. So let me just pass on a basic principle, this basic principle. Marriage does not minimize our sinfulness. It magnifies it. Marriage doesn't minimize our imperfections, our inherent self-centeredness. It actually puts a magnifying glass. And married people said, and all the married people said, amen, because you've seen this work in your life and in your relationship, right? It magnifies your sinfulness because we're all sinners, and sinners by definition, sin. You guys, did you get some coffee? We had some coffee outside. Sinners, by definition, sin, right? And as a sold-out Christ follower, your sin has been taken care of eternally. But the Bible says that you and I are still being sanctified. That you and I as Christ followers are still being made into the image of Jesus Christ right now. That takes place little by little throughout our entire life, this process of sanctification. Let me show you what I mean in Romans 7. Real quick, Aaron, my wife, and I were, were reading uh, Romans 7 the other day in our daily Bible reading, and I thought it fit here today. Side note, you should read the Bible every day. We use the YouVersion Bible app to help us go through the Bible in a year. Even better, read the Bible or read a plan, a Bible reading plan, with your spouse. I recommend it. Romans 7, starting in verse 14, or 15, I should say. The Apostle Paul, writer of 75% of the New Testament, greatest missionary that ever lived, says this about himself. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do, how many of you can just, that first statement, I do not understand my own actions. You can just go, yep, that's me. You got me. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. 
For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. It's like Abbott and Costello routine, right? Like who's on first? What I want to do, I can't do. What I did, what I, I didn't want to did that, right? I just didn't want to did that. And it's confusing, and I think that's the point. The Apostle Paul is saying, I, this just keeps happening. It just keeps happening. I can't seem to get this right. I can't make myself do the stuff I know I should be doing and what I actually want to do. Look at verse 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then verse 25 says it's Jesus and Jesus alone who will deliver us. The Apostle Paul is going, I love Jesus with all of my heart and my mind, but there's still this sin at work in me. And if you're a believer, you've been there, right? Who am I kidding? If you're a believer, you're there right now. You're in this right now. As believers, we know this to be true of ourselves, that we are still sinners. We are still works in progress, still in the process of being sanctified and made into the image of Jesus Christ daily. But what's interesting is that we don't usually apply this truth to others. We don't usually give others the benefit of this truth. We think others should be sinless, perfect, mistake-free. I mean, that's Got to be the case. Otherwise, why would people leave churches because somebody was mean to them there? Why would we leave churches because there was sin there? Why would we do that? I mean, when, when we mess up, it's, it's please forgive me. After all, nobody's perfect. Please forgive me. But when they mess up, oh, I can't believe they did that. They call themselves a Christian. How could they possibly do it? I mean, isn't that interesting? We're surprised when sinners sin. And the same thing plays out in our marriage. We enter it with these crazy, unrealistic expectations of being married to someone that isn't going to have problems or our problems somehow magically being taken care of at the wedding day. But that's not the way it works. The marriage relationship it brings our sin to the surface because sin at its core is self-centeredness. So we're destined for conflict in all of our relationships. The fight, the strife, the arguments, they're inevitable. And I hope that that's freeing to you today to hear that every marriage has conflict. To hear that even the best-looking marriages from the outside still have conflict on the inside. That we should expect it. That people 
posting the perfect like couple photo on on Facebook and saying like the ridiculous things like, oh, my husband's the best. He just loves me so much and takes care of me. And he leads me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. I mean, God's namesake. And it's great. He's just a great guy. Or the other post from from the husband say, you're the best wife in the world, baby. You care about me. You meet my needs. You support me. And you're smoking hot. Smoochy face. Even those people have fights and arguments and conflict just like the rest of us. Just like the rest of us. So I hope that's freeing to you today, but maybe you're going, it's not free. It's horrible. Great, Pastor, there's no hope? Thanks. Feeling really great. If that's you, let me, just, let me just say this. On an eternal scale, this whole idea that marriage maximizes or magnifies our sinfulness instead of minimizing it, it's a good thing. It's, it's a good thing because what happens when you put two sinners into a house together and say, go, good luck, live your life, is that their sin not only comes to the surface, but if Christ is primary, then their sin comes to the surface and it begins to be dealt with, right? If grace reigns supreme and forgiveness reigns supreme, then this can be a very, very good thing. This process of sanctification, it kind of gets ramped up. In the marriage relationship, that's a good thing. On an eternal, like you and Jesus, kind of a scale, this is a good thing. This is a good thing. Gary Thomas said it this way in his book, Sacred Marriage. What if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? Something to think about. If you have the expectation that a healthy marriage doesn't have conflict, you'll live in this constant state of hopelessness, thinking that you are failing and you'll end up bailing. You'll you'll end up trading for a, a new spouse. You'll think that it's an upgrade, but it'll just end the same way because your expectations are all wrong. And then it just starts this snowball effect. Because all of us, when our expectations aren't met, no matter how unrealistic our expectations are, We're hurt by that. We feel rejected. We feel disrespected, disappointed, betrayed, let down, frustrated when our expectations aren't met. Then pride kicks in and we start kind of rehearsing in our heads what we're owed and what they should do for us and why they're not doing what we want them to do and what we deserve. And pride, beloved, distorts reality. It distorts reality. It's like a defense lawyer popping up in your head telling you why you're vindicated and you're right and they're wrong and all of that. It distorts reality. Doesn't she know how hard I've worked? Is it too much to ask to have a little fun before bed? She must not be, dist- she must not be attracted to me. Doesn't she care about my needs? Doesn't he care that I'm tired? Doesn't he care about our family? He only cares about his career. He never wants to spend time with us. One easy way to know that you've got problems is if you start listing your strengths 
in your head and your spouse's weaknesses. You know you've got problems if that's you. And by the way, hey, by the way, rehearsing all of your spouse's failures like that, it puts you in the company of Satan, right next to the great accuser, accusing your beloved. So sin and pride are at the root of your conflict, and unmet expectations cause this snowball effect to take place. But let's talk for just a few minutes about how to resolve conflict in marriage, how to fight right, how to weather storms from within your marriage and from within yourself. I want to give you some specific ways to do that, but because of time, I'm only going to teach on two kind of overarching ways uh, before we close, and I just use the word, the phrase before we close, and it means nothing. It doesn't mean we're actually closing. It's just something they teach you in seminary, like before we close, as we close, when we close. We're not closing. So there's two Two things I want to teach on really quick, overarching things. And then on your way out, uh, the, the First Impressions team is going to be handing you uh, a, a list of other things that you can look at, other principles that you can talk uh, with your spouse about. And so today, uh, in the message, I want to talk to you about two alwayses, because that's how you do the plural of always. And then I'm going to hand you on the way out ten nevers, okay? So the big one I want to throw out to you sounds pretty obvious and may sound like it's not practical, may even seem a little cliche-ish, but don't shut me out. Let me explain. Here it is. Always go to God with your conflict. Always go to God with your conflict. When you have the frustration, when things don't go the way you want them to go, when you feel the anger well up and the pride start to take over and you start rehearsing what you're going to say and the, the problems that your spouse is causing and you're about to get into a conflict or you're already in an argument or a conflict, go to God with it. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how like wrong your spouse is, okay? It doesn't matter how messed up they are. If there is a legitimate issue with them, you can't fix it anyways. Only God can change hearts. And so you go to God. First step, go to God with the, con with the conflict. Take it to him. Don't immediately use logic or common sense arguments or debate tactics tactics or manipulation to try to get your spouse to agree with you or do what you want them to do or change their behavior. Don't do this. Go to God with your conflict. This is important because I think a lot of times when we come to a place like this, we talk about marriage and we talk about practical things to do, principles that will help our marriage and help us to resolve conflict and get through the inevitable fights. What we do is we end up taking those and trying to apply those as like cause and effect manipulation. If I do this, then they will do that. If I say this, then my spouse will begin to respond in this way that I want. Our tendency in that moment when conflict begins is either to throw daggers at each other that wound deeply or to begin to try to manipulate each other into doing what we want. And there are tons of marriage books written with this approach at the forefront. And after husbands and wives read these books, they get frustrated because they do what the book says and, and their spouse doesn't magically turn into the spouse that they, they want them to be or do the things that they want them 
to do. It doesn't work. A husband will read one and come away thinking, okay, if I do the dishes and vacuum, she'll be responsive to me. Or someone will say, you know what my wife thinks is sexy? Mopping. She thinks mopping is, man, when I mop, my wife is on me like a hippo in heat. <laughs> Although I, maybe you don't use hippo, okay? I'm not sure. <laughs> maybe that's not the best animal to choose when referring to your wife. But they go home and they, and they mop. They mop and they mop and they mop. And when it changes nothing, husbands become frustrated because their system, listen, beloved, because their system of indebtedness and quid pro quo didn't produce what they wanted it to produce. In the same way, women are told that if they do certain things for their husbands, they'll get the husbands that they want. There are books dedicated to changing your husband instead of developing together as a couple. But when these things don't lead to a better husband, wives get even more frustrated. The issue with this approach is that it does nothing to address the heart. And it's always built on the idea that we are the ones that need our spouse to measure up to our standards. Instead of dealing with the fact that we've got our own problems to deal with. We've got our own measuring up to do. So hear me clearly today. What we're talking about, what I'm giving you, this isn't for them. It's for you. This isn't for them. It is for you. This is not a list for you to circle the things your husband sucks at. Well, am I supposed to say sucks in church? Maybe not. (laughs) This isn't for you to circle the things that your husband needs to work out or circle the things that your wife does and then go, see, listen, if you get in the minivan today on the way home and you go, I told you, did you hear what he said? I told you you weren't supposed to do that. I told you you shouldn't do that. If you do that, you have failed. You have missed it. This isn't for them. This is for you. The scriptures tell of a different way, beloved. Husbands, we're supposed to love our wives as Christ loved the church. That means we love them regardless of their response to our efforts to change them. And the same kind of love should flow from a wife to her husband, but this is, this is out of control, difficult, because whether we realize it or not, you and I are conditioned to love in order to get something, to love in order to get the response we want, to get something in return. And listen closely. You can tell when it's not really love you're giving if you begin to withhold it because the response wasn't what you wanted. That's not love. Love is selfless. Love is given because it's the right thing to do and it honors Christ and glorifies God. And if you just take a beat and think about this for a second, you'll see this at work in your own relationship. Men, have you figured out that you can't be romantic enough? 
that you can't earn enough money, that you can't help around the house enough, you can't buy enough stuff to make your wife everything you want in the bedroom and everywhere else. It's because heart and attitude change are not brought about through leverage. They're not. Only the Holy Spirit can change your wife's heart. So we love, we encourage, and we turn our wife over to Christ. We go to God. Wives, have you figured out that you, you can't make him be what you want him to be no matter what you do? You can have sex with him every night. You can cook him steak and potatoes every week. You can keep the house spotless. You can give him all the time in the man cave that you can come up with. If it's all that stuff, it's, it's good. It's not bad. It could help. But all that stuff, if it's done to bring about a change in your husband, will not help your marriage. It won't produce what you want it to produce. It doesn't have the power to change them. Only God has the power to change their heart. You have to go to God with your conflict and first ask him to change you. And then after you stay there for a little bit, ask him to change your spouse if you think that's still needed. So that's the first always. Always go to God with your conflict in marriage. And this isn't equal to the other advice I'll give you. It surpasses and supersedes it. Here's the second always. Always forgive. Always forgive. And I, in sermon team, we talked this week about, but aren't there times that like it's, I don't know, do you forget? I mean, isn't it real difficult to forgive in certain times? And, and man, what about abuse? And what about adultery? And what about this? And what about that? And man, we could sit here all day and talk about like, where's the line on, on yeah, you should forgive. And this is like kind of hard to forgive. And this is like, well, maybe you don't forgive in that. I don't have time to get into all that, but I will say this, that to forgive somebody isn't the same as, as getting back to a level of trust with them, right? Trust and forgiveness are, are not the same thing. Proverbs says, this isn't in my notes, but Proverbs says that a dog returns to his vomit like a fool to his folly. You can forgive and not be a dog. Tracking with me? You can forgive and not be a fool in his folly. Forgiveness doesn't mean you go back to that. But you still have to forgive, always, not because they deserve it. If that were the case, you would rationalize around forgiving them every time. It's not because they deserve it. It's because, number one, in your marriage, you're in this forever. You're in this for forever. Like there's not an end date to your marriage. And then number two, you've been forgiven of so much more in Christ. You've been Forgiven. Jesus tells this story in Matthew 18, where a servant owed a master just a, a ridiculous amount of money, more money than he could ever pay back in a lifetime, multiple lifetimes. And so the master called the servant up and he said, It's time to pay me your debt. And the servant said, Please, he begged the master, forgive me the debt. I can't pay it, or give me time and I'll, and I'll work to, to pay it off. And, and the master showed grace and mercy and he forgave the servant his debt right there on the spot. But then that servant whose debt had just been forgiven walked out of the master's house. And on his way out, he saw another servant who owed him like a few bucks. And he grabbed that servant. He said, pay me what you owe. The second servant said the same thing that the first servant said to the master. He said, forgive me, please. Give me more time. I'll pay you back what you owe. 
And instead of forgiving that second servant his debt, the first servant said, jailer, come and throw him in prison. Even though he was forgiven of so much more, he refused to forgive that second servant. And the master heard about it, and he brought that first servant in whose debt had been forgiven. And he said this in Matthew 18, verse 32, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And then Jesus says this about this parable in verse 35. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Our ability to forgive has nothing to do with what is deserved or what it is in particular that the other person has done to us. Your ability to forgive your spouse is directly dependent on your knowledge of what you've been forgiven of in Christ. Let me say that again. Your ability to forgive your spouse is directly dependent on your knowledge of what you've been forgiven of in Christ. If you find yourself unable to forgive, to move on, to show mercy. The problem is not what has been done to you. The problem is your blindness to what has been done for you in Christ. Jesus has forgiven you everything. To not forgive others is to put yourself in a position to hear the last thing you want to hear from God. You wicked Servant. We're running out of time, so let me end this way. If you want your marriage to be healthy, if you want your marriage to make it till death do us part, if you want to weather all the storms that come against your marriage in sickness and in health like you vowed, then you're going to have to make Jesus the foundation And you're going to have to have the right expectations. It'd be crazy to buy a house thinking you won't have to do any repairs. It'd be ludicrous to start looking for a new house every time a storm comes through, every time you have to repair the roof, every time you have to replace a water heater. It'd be crazy. And it'd be crazy for you to see conflict in marriage as anything but natural. It'd be crazy for you to think that you shouldn't have fights, you shouldn't have arguments, you shouldn't have difficulties in your marriage. Every marriage is a fixer-upper. Every marriage needs help. Every marriage has conflict. And so the question is, When you come up against the inevitable conflict in your marriage, what will you do? Will you expect it beforehand and work through it? Or will you run from it and avoid it? My advice, expect it. Work through it. Always go to God. Always forgive. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your word that is so true to us today, just like it was when it was written.
that it is both timeless and timely, that we can find something in it today to help us be more like you. Thank you, Jesus, for that. As always, I pray, God, that whatever was of me this morning in my message, in this message, would be quickly forgotten and fall to the wayside, but whatever was of you would be remembered, not forgotten, would haunt us this week and forever. God, I want to pray for our marriages at Great Oaks. I pray, Jesus, that you would, through the power of your Holy Spirit, protect the marriages in this room. I pray, God, that you would help this week, this today, this afternoon, the conversations that happen. Lord, I pray that you would help them be in a, in a foundation, on a foundation of grace and love and forever. And God, that the result of those would be good. I pray, Jesus, that we would be quick as husbands, as wives, to own up to what it is we need to change, what it is we need to work on. And we would be slow to point out sin and shortcomings and failures and the person you've given us in a spouse. Help us look at our own heart first, Jesus. We give all these things to you. We ask that in our marriages, the conflicts that come, that we would see them as a chance to be conformed into your image, to be sanctified, to be made more like you. That we would see it as a picture of your great love for the church, your bride, your beloved. We give you these things. We trust you with them. Even in the midst of the most, the craziest difficulties, the highest walls, the highest barriers, the deepest sin, the deepest sadness and disappointment, even in those situations, we trust that you can redeem, restore, and strengthen. We give this to you. It's in your name that we pray. Everybody said, amen. Amen. Why don't you stand? If your spouse is in the room and you're able to, uh, hold their hand, put your hand around their shoulder, something like that. I want to just pray over our marriages. Um, just say one prayer, one last prayer. So here's my prayer for our marriages today. May we expect conflict and move to resolution quickly. May we commit to forgive before the occasion calls for it because of what we've been forgiven of in Jesus Christ. And may we, without fail, every time, every day, take it all to the only one who can make a difference, Jesus Christ. God bless you. Thank you so much for coming today. Stay and sing one last song with us. Prayer workers are on the side. We'd love to pray over your marriage, pray a blessing over it, or pray for you for anything at all. As always, my challenge to you is to not let this stop with you, just like you've been helped today to take your next step towards God in your marriage and in your relationship with Him. So go out and help others take their next steps towards God. Be a Jesus follower who makes and disciples other Jesus followers. We'll see you next week for week three in our Fixer Upper series.